You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech, the Future Tech Health Podcast. And I have Dr. Zaina Carver. Uh, she's the author of The Thyroid Code, The End of Chronic Fatigue. Um, so I'll just call you Zaina, that's okay. And thank you for coming. Thank you. Zaina would be great. I appreciate you having me on the yeah. podcast. Yeah, so tell me, you know, no one usually writes a book about something like this unless uh, you know, they've had unfortunate personal experience or someone close to them has. So what, what, what's a little bit of your backstory? Well, um, I'm a, an assistant professor here at Columbia Basin College, um, so I have a teaching background, but before that I did research and uh, learned a lot about how chemicals move through the body, but what really drew me to this is having experience with thyroid cancer, having my thyroid removed, and then the experiences that I went through after that have drawn me to write a book. Okay, so you know, a little bit about, uh, again, your experience, what, what, what was the experience particularly with, uh, with cancer, what happened? I started with a goiter and had a bunch of tests done, and it wasn't anything to worry about at first, uh, but it kept growing, and eventually I had surgery. Then later I found out that it was papillary carcinoma. Um, I had the radioactive iodine ablation, and then I was put on TSH suppression therapy, which is where they give you a little bit higher dose of thyroid hormone replacement. I felt really, really well on that, but... Things really turned around is not from thyroid cancer, but an endocrinologist deciding to change my dose to take me off TSH suppression. Do you want me to go into that now, or yeah, if you don't mind? What, so what? I, I I really haven't heard of TSH suppression. When they did um, the surgery, did they just take out the goiter, or they took out your thyroid? What was the protocol? If you give a few more details. That's really interesting because I didn't want to have the surgery. And I told the surgeon, though, if anything didn't look right, to take the whole thyroid. And he could have just taken out the goiter or one lobe. He took out the entire thyroid and left the parathyroid glands. And then later I found out what a great decision that was because even though the goiter wasn't cancerous, there was cancer elsewhere in the thyroid gland. And I've got this huge family history, so I was fortunate there. Okay. And why, but why did they give you TSH suppression therapy? And what was that? Why did they just give you... You know, since they took out your thyroid, why don't they just give you, uh, you know, Synthroid or T4? What happens is that the pituitary gland sends out thyroid-stimulating hormone, and it tells the thyroid to produce hormones. But it can also cause the thyroid gland to enlarge. And if there's any cancer that's left after a surgery like that, then it can overstimulate. It could cause those cancer cells to grow. So by keeping thyroid hormone levels in the body a little bit higher than normal levels, that 
shuts off the stimulus for thyroid-stimulating hormone, and that prevents any stimulation of cells that could be that could be cancerous that are left after the surgery. Oh, I thought just the presence of uh, you know levothyroxine or Synthroid would do that, but was there something else you took that particularly uh, you know knocked out your your TSH production? It's the same medication that they replace with, so the Synthroid or Levoxyl, but they give a higher dose of it to bring TSH levels down. Okay, okay. I thought there was like a separate medication they gave you or something. They, nope. you know, just for listeners, I had you know thyroid issues, and as I had my thyroid taken out, my TSH was like crazy high. And scared me, you know, for a few months because I was like, oh man, look, you know, and then it came down, but it took quite a while to come all the way down. Did they offer you TSH suppression? No, they just said, here's some synthroid, go have a nice day. (laughs) Well, there can be downsides to TSH suppression. If you're on it for a long time, it can cause low bone density and it can also affect the heart, but for short term to reduce the risk, it's helpful to keep that level. Okay. So what? Um, so you were doing uh, just a little bit more about your story. So you're doing well on that, and then what? Your doctor said, "Oh, now you don't need it," and they took you off of that. And like, what happened at that point? Well, she told me about the health effects, and this is about ten years later. Ten years after being really healthy, really active, able to keep up with my life, um, you know, raising two sons, working full time, and commuting. Ten years later, when that doctor discuss the the negative health consequences, the low bone density and heart effects, she wanted to take me off TSH suppression. She mentioned that the research um, is now saying that a person shouldn't be on it for too long. And it sounded like a good thing. So the first decrease I did okay with. I just felt tired and a little bit cold and it was okay. And then each time she lowered my dose, she would check again in six weeks. Now, the next time she said that my TSH was still suppressed or it was still really low, And there's an inverse association with thyroid hormone levels. So if the TSH is low, the interpretation is that I was getting too much of the thyroid medication. So she lowered it again. And when she lowered it, I was exhausted. I was freezing. I would catch myself dozing off a little bit. Um, Even though I would fidget, I drink caffeine like crazy, um, eating candy bars, just trying to stay awake. And then... At some point, it, it got even worse. I was dizzy. I was, um, I couldn't think straight. I couldn't remember things. I would catch every sinus infection, respiratory infection going around. Um, I lost work days due to being sick, but it was, it was very different because before, you know, you get sick for a few days and then you feel better. I, I couldn't seem to fight off anything that was going around. Um, I could barely stay awake just to drive to work and back. I was really afraid about falling asleep. And I was so dizzy and, and, you know, slow speech and slow thought that I was worried about being drug tested or losing my job at this point. And it got so bad that I disobeyed my doctor and I went back to the prior dose, not the one I started on, but the one before when the symptoms weren't quite so bad. And I felt better. I could function. Um, The first thing that I noticed is that my mood improved. When my dose was lowered, I would be emotional. I would get upset over little things, and that's not like me at all. So when I went back to that dose before, I felt so much better. I just felt this this renewed sense. Um, My energy was better. Temperature was better. I was moving forward with projects again. Everything was starting to improve, but not 100%. And when I went to that next appointment and I told her what I had done, she was so angry with me. She screamed at me. She screamed how dangerous this was. And she needs therapy. To ask you, like, when you were feeling terrible, 
and you went to the doctor, did she just not care and say you're fine? Or like, what was her BS explanation for what was wrong with you? Because my TSH was still low, she didn't believe it was caused by the thyroid changes. And when I would go and, and talk to her, I tried and tell her about some of these symptoms. I couldn't even remember all my symptoms. And then when she asked me about stress, I said the truth. Yeah, I was under a lot of stress, but it symptoms up to um, up to stress, which is exactly what she did. She chalked every single one of them up to stress and uh, basically told me it had nothing to do with the thyroid medication changes. And then um, when she kept reducing the, the medication, I hit rock bottom and changed the dose. That got so much better, but she was so angry with me for doing that. Um, because the lab work showed that my TSH was low, she did not believe that that was related to um, the changes in thyroid medication. But was she, she only looking at, at TSH? Did she look at T4, T3, T2, T1, reverse T3, TPOAB, the, any, anybody, this lady, like, look at anything besides just TSH? She did the TSH and thyroglobulin. That's that's one for the, the cancer follow-up. She also did T4, right. but no, she wasn't looking at free T3. She wasn't looking at reverse T3 or T1 or T2. You're absolutely right. It was just mainly TSH is what she was basing her judgment on. Okay, well, hopefully you get rid of her. But what, what happened then? She screamed at you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I considered hiding under a chair and leaving the appointment. Um, but anyway, she offered another medication. She offered a T3 medication. And T3 is the more active form. It's called cell or lyothyronine. But at that point, I'd had enough. I just, I just, something was missing and that I needed to find a different doctor. And I found uh, Dr. Smith, who's an integrative physician, and he looked at a multitude of different things. And part of having my dose lowered that steeply over that period of time meant that I had all kinds of nutritional deficiencies, um, gut imbalances, and adrenal issues because of the low thyroid hormone. So he slowly worked on those areas, and then everything gradually improved. That's crazy. So you just took a uh, T3-only supplement, and that was good for you? You didn't have to take, like, Nature Throid or Armor or anything like that? I, I've never had a doctor willing to prescribe me um, NDT or natural desiccated thyroid because it contains thyroglobulin. So I've only had the opportunity to be on both on um, synthetic T4 and T3. But that's a huge improvement over being on T4 only. You said that the uh, the natural desiccated thyroid and the armor, they contain uh, thyroglobulin? What do I thought that's just the, uh, the level of thyroid hormone in the blood. What is that? Thyroglobulin is a carrier and it's something that they use for testing when someone's had thyroid cancer. The level of uh, thyroid hormone in the blood, that's a thyroglobulin meant, if I'm mistaken. Thyroglobulin is used as a marker for a reoccurrence of thyroid cancer. And if you're getting it in a medication, then it might look like your thyroid cancer has come back. Um, oh, okay. So it's a, because that level want to should be very low. Yes, exactly. Okay. Well, I don't know if that's reason enough not to take it, but, but okay. You're absolutely right. I've asked a couple of different doctors. I've had one doctor say that it's not not standardized, um, that the dose is more variable. I've had another doctor just say that they're flat out not comfortable ordering it, um, or she said that it wasn't reliable. So, yeah, I haven't had a doctor order it. I have tried Thyragold, but I don't take it. Um, anywhere near any type of thyroid testing would be done. And I've had a great response to it. I felt fantastic on it. But it's kind of tricky getting the right dose because there are only two different doses that you can take. Okay, so you're just taking T4 and T3 and 
and make sure the two's working for you and you're all good. Okay, I heard T4 and T3. Oh, sure. Do I take them? You're taking taking just T4 and T3, you know, separately and then make sure it's working for you? Yes. Okay. Very good. So what what, what do you do now? You've written this book. Uh, Do you see patients clinically or what, you know, do you have your own practice or what are you doing in addition to the authoring of the book? Part of this is increasing awareness, especially for people who have been told that their TSH is normal and they still have all kinds of low thyroid symptoms. There's some interesting research that came out that talks about chronic fatigue uh, syndrome and how those patients have low levels of free T3 or thyroid hormone. Um, so there could be a lot of people who have been misdiagnosed or who have been you know, told that their lab work is normal and their thyroid is fine and they have enough thyroid hormone when in fact they might really have a problem. Just getting the word out there, helping people to understand that there are problems with the testing and that there are medication options. Not everyone's going to feel better on a T4-only medication. So this book is aimed at finding a new audience, finding people who don't know about the thyroid or that their their symptoms could be related to thyroid hormone. And it's also um, about educating and empowering and just giving people the tools that they need to be able to ask the right questions and get better treatment or what they can do with their lifestyle habits to feel better. How does chronic fatigue figure into uh, thyroid issues? Does it only manifest in people that have like, you know, rock bottom T3s or can someone still experience it and yet have, you know, within quote-unquote range, but low T3? Yes, that's true, because normal range doesn't necessarily mean optimal. Um, Dr. Kent Holtorf did a lot of research on this, and he's written quite a bit, but what he found is that women have fewer receptors. Well, hormone has to be at the right level, sure, but there also has to be enough receptors to bind to it for the cells to get the signal that they need. And a person could have just slightly low of 3T3 and feel absolutely miserable. And another person who has more receptors might have normal levels or very low levels and, and feel okay. So it is variable, but certainly people can be absolutely exhausted with just a slight change in their 3T3 levels. It's interesting. So if someone has a, um, a lot of receptors, would you postulate that they would have low reverse T3? Because I guess that's the storage mechanism for it. And then if they have, uh, sorry, if they have receptors, I would think they would have high reverse T3, which acts as like a bank for them. And if they have a lot of receptors that have, you know, low circulating amounts and, you know, low amounts of uh, of reverse T3. That's just, you know, my thought. Can you, you say the last me? part again? Yeah. Yeah, sure. But, so my, again, this is just my speculation, but if someone has fewer receptors, you know, like a woman, I would think that they would then have, you know, a lower serum level of T3 but they would have a higher reverse T3, for instance, because that would be the stored form of the T3. But someone right. that has a lot of receptors would have a you know, high level of T3 and a low level of reverse because they don't need the stored very much. Um, I think there's a couple of different parts to that, and that has to do with T4 being converted to T3, so enzyme levels, but then also competition. And what happens when a person is under stress is that their body makes more of reverse T3 the enzyme, which is D3 rather than D1 and D2, which is functional T3. And the more reverse T3, the more it can compete with T3. So you're right, that's going to change levels of T3 and reverse T3 in the blood, but that might also change levels of T4. So for example, if someone's not able to 
if they didn't have enough receptors for T4, it could look high in the blood when there's no T4 in the cells. Okay, makes sense. So what, do you recommend that uh, you know people that have thyroid issues get a complete thyroid panel? It seems um, you know like it seems like a mistake to only look at TSH and thyroid globulin or only TSH and you know T4. It seems like all of them should be looked at full panel. Yes, absolutely. And looking at free levels are so important. There are many factors that can affect free levels, which is what the tissues actually have access to. So looking at not just the TSH, but also free T3, free T4, reverse T3 to look at conversion, and then looking at maybe sex hormone binding globulin uh, or thyroid globulin, and a full complement of antibody tests can have sky antibodies and they can be elevated for a long time for TSH rises. What what does the sex binding globulin hormone have to do with this? That's a new one. It changes when someone so good example here is it works for sex hormone binding globulin, but it doesn't just bind it can also bind in a way in the blood and less of it's available to the cell. So it can look like thyroid hormone levels high, but it's not able to get to the tissues where it needs to go to have the effect. Well, if that was the case, what would you experience? You would have low thyroid symptoms, um, feel exhausted, cold, um, swollen extremities, swollen face, uh, brain fog, difficulty with memory, maybe poor sleep. All of those symptoms could be related to having low T3 in the tissues. Hmm. And it makes it more complicated for people that are, again, in range or it looks totally normal, but yet they still feel those symptoms. Exactly. There's so much more to it than just looking at one level, whether it's in range, I'm not even considering whether it's the best level for that person, but there's so many other factors. And where I come from in research, protein binding is really important because that tells you what the tissues actually have versus what's found in blood. And likewise, there's a lot of information out there about enzymes, whether T4 is converted to T3 or reverse T3. So both of those are that. Is a person converting and making active T3? Are the transport proteins at normal levels and antibody levels? All of that plays a role. How do you find out all this? How do you find out about transport proteins and how how your tissues are using the uh, T3 that's created? They can be tested for, just like a thyroglobulin. What would the name of the test be? Um, So there's... There's thyroglobulin, there's transthyretin, although that one's just a minor, and there's also sex hormone binding globulin. Albulin is another one that might give an indication, but that's not the primary um, carrier. So what happens if uh, you know someone has adequate levels of T3, but there doesn't seem to be getting to the tissues? What could they do? That's a great question. There's a lot of lifestyle factors. Um, so inflammation, insulin resistance, leptin resistance, stress, low-calorie dieting, all of those factors um, plus more can influence conversion or ability to thyroid hormone. So lowering stress, eating a better diet, finding out what foods are inflammatory, um, reducing sugars, also improving um, leptin sensitivity by changing when you eat, and then reducing environmental triggers. That can make a big difference in as far as the tissues having available T3 um, as well as conversion issues. Okay, so dietary intervention at that point seems to uh, help people a lot. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Are there any other major types of cases or special cases that uh, your book addresses or that you see are really not addressed at all in normal 
thyroid care? I don't know if I would say special cases, um, but it, it's so common that a person has something else going on where if a doctor is just looking at TSH, they're not seeing the whole picture and they're not knowing if the thyroid hormone is actually getting inside the cell or not. And usually they end up with some kind of misdiagnosis. Um, it could be anything from MS to chronic fatigue to fibromyalgia. Sometimes they're physical symptoms, psychiatric illness, and they're given all these different medications. They're given antidepressants. They're given medications for their blood pressure, their cholesterol, pain medications, antibiotics, steroids, and nothing helps. So the patient comes out acting or feeling um, like they're not heard. Um, and it's really frustrating to be in that position. In fact, there, there's a high number of suicides in people who have um, high thyroid antibodies and in people who have low levels of T3. Hmm. Okay, interesting. So what, um, you know, now that you've done this book, uh, now that you have your new insight, how do people find a practitioner that's not going to just scream at them and, you know, tell them they're fine and, you know, say, oh, your symptoms are BS, you know, how do they actually get help? This seems very, very prevalent just from the stories I've heard, and I'm only one person, that uh, this is rampant in the thyroid care world, the lack of care. That's a great question. I would suggest starting with the doctor that they have uh, been seeing, just asking for more of a partnership in their care, asking if their doctor would consider ordering a full panel or on thyroid medication, different options. Some doctors are really great about giving their patients options or trying something new, even if it's not exactly the way that they've been trained. But if a person is ridiculed just for asking for more tests to be done or for asking, it's clear that they, they should find a different uh, physician. And for many people, I know in my experience with endocrinologists, it's more be flexible, but integrative medicine practitioner, they can look at things, um, look at the body as a whole, for instance, instead of just going off of one lab value. And they're a great source to, I think I've got a link in the book that um, posts to different resources where in discussion boards, thyroid patients can let other thyroid patients know what doctor they're seeing. Sometimes people are willing to travel even to another state to see someone who's out of network if they're really skilled in thyroid care and look at all of the other variables. Yeah, I've done that. I've seen, uh, you know, multiple ones to get the, uh, you know, different opinions and to, you know, see actually what uh, what works. So sometimes that's what it takes, even though it's a pain. But it's better than yeah, suffering, have... feeling like, like death, you know. Absolutely. Have you found a good physician who's been helpful? I found I had to piece together multiple people. One would talk about one thing, one would talk about another. But in order to really be in charge of my own care, I needed, uh, frankly, multiple ones in order to accomplish the goal. So sadly, that's what I found. That is so true. I'm finding that out as well. And that brings up another great point. And that is the value of a health coach. If you have different physicians helping with different aspects of this problem, they can help you with some of the lifestyle factors that most doctors don't have time to get into. Yeah, like, uh, you know, with, with thyroid cancer, there are certain doctors that are very good with the, that side of it and the screening and everything. And then the, uh, you know, feeling better and the medication side and the tuning and the, you know, the integrative health side, you probably need another person, unfortunately, if that's your situation. But yeah, it just, it makes it tough because there's, you know, there's no one doctor that seems to uh, to have it all, which is, you know, again, it's just really tough. I agree. Yep, I'm finding that yeah. out. Well, very good. Well, where um, where's the best way for people to find out more about you and get in touch? They can 
I guess get your book on Amazon and everywhere else? Yes. The book's available as an ebook on Amazon. I'm going to have a paperback version out in a couple of months. And they can always get a hold of me at thyroidco.org. Um, they can contact me through the website or through my email, and I would be happy to help in whatever way I can. Okay. Well, very good, Rosanna. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.